Welcome to the Columbia Church Sermon Podcast. We're so excited to share this weekend's message with you from Dr. Jim Bauckham, our senior pastor. We hope it encourages you, inspires you, and helps you grow in your faith as a whole life disciple. Enjoy the message. Hey, Columbia, welcome to Easter Sunday and welcome to this new series, which I I think will uh, be enlightening in a number of ways and and I hope will be powerful. The study of it's been powerful for me already. And I'm doing a couple of things. I'm I'm answering a question you ask often, which we'll talk about in a second. But in addition to that, I'm, uh, I'm offering for the first time in a while a comparative religion series. That is not today, but in the other five weeks of the series, we want to see how other people wrestle with this question. Not only those who believe in other faiths, but those who don't believe at all. How does science seek to rel- uh, relatively answer a difficult question? Uh, what exactly do we do with this, this hard question? Uh, in past series, like for example, if you remember it, and lots of people who were here then loved it, who do they say he is? About what every religion says about Jesus We took it one religion at a time. So each Sunday dealt with uh, Buddhism or Hinduism or or something of of that sort. We'll tackle this differently this time because I want us to use what others say as just a lens into what we really believe about what comes next. So uh, we'll take six truths beginning today about uh, the Scripture's teaching of what life after life, you'll hear that again in a moment, looks like. And I think it will be really meaningful. But before I go anywhere else, I've got to establish why today really matters and why today is the anchor or the essence of our faith. This is the the day that we celebrate what is most unique and most central to our faith, and it is resurrection. Now, there can be no resurrection without death. So we're going to talk about something that's kind of hard to talk about. I don't think, maybe I'm the only one, But I don't think that anybody really loves to talk about death. So if you invite people over, let's say you have a dinner party, is this what you're going to say to people at the table? Hey, let's talk about death a little bit. Can we? How many are going to do that? I don't think anyone. And so for that reason, we we don't even mention the word a lot. In fact, we, we develop these euphemisms about what it means for our earthly bodies to die. And I started thinking early on in my preparation for this series about some of those euphemisms. Now, these euphemisms come in lots of different fashions. They can be funny or, or even cruel, a, a, a sort of a, an offhand discounting of, of death. And, and, and so a, an expression can do that, or, or it can try to convey a truth. But most of all, I think it tries to avoid uh, the word death and, and, and some open talk about it. So let's, let's take a look at these and see what we think they mean. By the way, interestingly enough, as I researched each of these, a whole lot of them came from military people like some of you or like some of you have been who were in theaters of operation where active warfare was occurring. So they were dealing with death on a daily basis, and it was hard to think about, hard to tackle, hard to talk about. And so they developed these sort of strange expressions about death. And so if we hear new ones, that, that's liable to be where many of them come from. So let's see if you've heard some of these. So first of all, they bit the dust. Have you heard that one before? Now, now I suppose it could have an obvious meaning to you because from dust we've come, so 
to dust we shall return. You know, we, we're lowered into a, a grave of some variety or placed in a grave. We go back to the ground, so that has some meaning, but you'll be interested to know that this expression seems to have originated with pilots in World War II. Now, that gives biting the dust a whole new meaning, doesn't it? You can see how this expression would emerge, a way of saying things went wrong. Life on this earth was done. Well, how about this one? Have you heard this one before? They, they bought the farm. Now, where does that come from? Well, as it turns out, it's not as obvious as it would seem. It appears that it has to do with buying your funeral pot, but in the olden days, that meant buying a tract of land that belonged to your family. And what was the first thing you did if you established a family farm? You bought a piece of property, not legal in Fairfax County or Arlington County, just so you know, but how it used to be is you'd set up a family funeral plot that was a part of that property. You knew you wouldn't live there forever, and you knew the people around you wouldn't live forever. You made plans. You bought the farm. The third one that I thought about is they're pushing up daisies. It kind of seems disrespectful, but it's sort of interesting to recognize that this one comes from a very respectful place. How many of you remember the poem about Flanders Field? And you know about this military use of a beautiful poem to speak about people who give their lives as an ultimate sacrifice to defend the freedom of their nation. Well, that's where this comes from. They're pushing up daisies from under the ground. Something has taken their place, and that something is, is life on top of life, if you will. They're six feet under. Does this one really need any explanation? They gave up the ghost seems to come from an older translation of Scripture, even predating the King James Version. They gave up the ghost. But in reality, it sort of seems to be more tied to Greco-Roman philosophy, like a lot of our ideas of life and death, than it is to anything the Scripture actually says, because there is in the Bible no separation between the spirit and the body, a living nephesh, a living being. We are one whole being. When we say spirit, we mean whole. We mean the whole of us. And so we don't give up the ghost when we die. In fact, we'll learn in this series, we always, always, in each state, of life after life, in each of these states, we take on another bodily existence. Nonetheless, it's a, an expression that we use. And if someone says it, you'll, you'll know what they mean. They get a little more serious as we go. So I hear this one often. <clears throat> well, they're at rest or they're at peace. Really? I don't care much for this one, honestly. I mean, I don't expect to rest when I pass from this earth. Do you? I expect to celebrate and not even to need to sleep. It's funny to me when someone says, I'll sleep when I die, and doesn't sleep in this world. You got to sleep here, but I don't know. I don't think I'll need to sleep in heaven and thereafter. Maybe I will. I like to sleep, so no problem. But whatever the case may be, what do we mean when we say it? Well, we're probably using this expression 
when we're dealing with someone who has struggled mightily at the end of life, with someone who's been ill for a long time, really wrestled, really struggled. And what we mean by this is that they're free of the obstructions of living, of the complications and pains of living. They're resting from that, at least. That's probably what we mean. Here's the one I tend to use the most. I don't usually say that someone has died. I usually say they have passed away. They, they've passed away from this world, and, and they've passed on to the next. Do you use this one a lot too? This is a kind of a common phrase, and I think it does have theological significance and meaning, like the next one. They met their maker. Well, this is certainly true, one way or another. You meet your maker in this life, I pray, but you certainly will meet your maker in the next. And so, we say they went back to their Creator. Maybe someone says something like they crossed over. They crossed the veil. They slipped the veil. They crossed the River Jordan. You remember that? When old, I, there are lots of ways to say this, but they, they crossed over. It's a good expression. The problem with it has to do with time, with tense. When we use the past tense here, we mean the recent past. That is, if somebody passes away, if their earthly bodies die, once they're gone, we say, well, they crossed over. And we mean on, on that particular day that their hearts stopped beating, their lungs stopped breathing, their bodies stopped functioning. We say they crossed over. We're right, but we missed the point. How did Jesus talk about this? Interestingly enough, I would argue that Jesus himself, I, I know you forgive me for this a little bit, but understand what I'm saying because he's communicating with us. He's communicating with people who don't know what to do with death. And so when he speaks about it, I, I think he speaks confusingly a little bit because he's dealing with people who are confused a lot, not because he misunderstands, but but look at what Jesus says. Now, this could have been my Easter sermon today. I've preached this passage on Easter before. There is no passage I haven't preached on Easter by this point in time. So there are lots of ways to preach Easter. You can do it historically, go into the Gospels. You, you, can, you can do it theologically. You can go into some of the writings of Paul, like 1 Corinthians 15. You, 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 can, you can do it in so many different ways. And one of my favorite stories is the story of the raising of Lazarus. It's a beautiful Easter story. It, it's a picture of the resurrection, and I've preached it many times. And it's there that Jesus met Martha on the road, remember? And Martha, she said, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And even now, there's something you can do. She doesn't seem to know what it is, but it's possible for you to act. And Jesus says famously to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Now listen carefully, not I will be resurrected as an event, but I am the resurrection and I am the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I, I, I just bet you've heard this before. If you've been to any in 20 years, to any funeral or memorial service I have done, I don't care which one it was. I open every single 
service that is a celebration of someone's life with this. That is non-negotiable. I give people choices about how they'll plan their funeral. This isn't one of them. I don't say, do you want to do this or do you not? If you don't want to do this, I'm not the guy to do your funeral. This is the promise that opens every single memorial service because I think this is the center of it all. It's the heart of it all. But even it seems to be a bit confusing. Maybe you don't see it because you've heard it so many times, but just take a look with me, if you will, and see if you'd have gotten an A on this paper in your English course. Jesus says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. Okay, that's a little bit confusing. So aren't we here celebrating the life of someone who has died? And what does it mean to say that that person will live, and yet, yes, they will die because Jesus is talking to people who identify a moment of leaving this earth and they call it death. And so they will live even though they die. But catch this, we're not even done yet. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Well, wait a second, Jesus. Didn't you just say even though they die, yet shall they live? You talked about death and now you say they'll never die. Now the central truth is that they'll never die. But Jesus is speaking to people who can't stop thinking about death. Do you know you think about death all the time? I'm telling you, you do. This is psychologically provable. You think about death every moment of your life, but are you aware that you do? It shows up in all kinds of different anxieties. It shows up in all sorts of different ways. It's always somewhere in your mind. Your death and the death of people that you dearly love, the people who are very important to you, you think about it constantly. But we find ways to compartmentalize it. We try to live without thinking all the time of death, but it's always there. Jesus knows this. Look, yes, what you call death, this is what he's saying. Yes, that's going to happen, okay? 100% of the time, there's no denying it. There's no debating it. No ifs, ands, or what's about it. There is going to come a moment that your body the one you occupy now, this physical transient body, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cease to work. And when you're done with it, you will experience what the world calls death. But, but even though you know that, yet you will live. And in fact, in fact, I need you to know, Jesus says, you'll never die. Now listen, Martha didn't understand this any more than you or I do. She responded to Jesus. Do you remember this? Well, Lord, I know on the last day there'll be a resurrection. I know something cool is going to happen in the future, but, and Jesus just ignores her response completely and goes right on. He knows she cannot register it. The question we're constantly asking is this, what's next? Where do we go when we're gone? Songwriters try to deal with it. Poets write about it. It's all over the literature. It's in Hollywood on the movies. It's in Bollywood on the movies. It's everywhere on the movies. Every great philosopher, every last one dealt in some way, shape, or form with death. It's the ultimate reality. You can't ignore it. You can't talk about life unless you speak about it. So every single one did. Science tries to give us an answer. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. It really is because 
Science is magnificent. I love science. I appreciate science. I'm not a science denier. I love very much the observations of science. But, but that's all science can do is observe the physical world as it exists, the transient world. Science can never answer this question. No matter how hard it tries, science cannot see what it cannot see. It cannot hear what it cannot hear. It cannot taste what it cannot taste. It cannot feel what it cannot feel. There is no one that can tell you about this except God himself. And now you've got to decide, do I believe the word that has been given to me? And let me tell you in advance, it's a little less specific than you thought. It doesn't give you a whole lot of details about what is to come, but what it does give is a very clear, non-negotiable outline of what comes next, where we go when we're gone. Now, we'll compare that in weeks to come, but for now, let's start with Jesus' Easter sermon. You say, wait a second, Jesus preached an Easter sermon? Yes, but He did it before Easter. Yeah, he got ahead of the game, you know. I mean, he was always prepared, you see, unlike some preachers who do it on Saturday night. Jesus didn't write this sermon the Saturday night before Easter. He wrote it months and years in advance, and he preached this sermon because resurrection was not just a historical event that was going to happen. It was something that was a reality that existed always in the hands and the heart of Creator God. Resurrection is not something that happens, it's something that is. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, not I will be resurrected. Most people struggle with, did it really happen? You know, is it really an event? You don't get it right at all. You're thinking scientifically about something that has nothing to do with science. The reality of the resurrection is not that it happened, but that death did not happen. It could not happen. It could not hold him down and cannot hold us down. Yes, Jesus' body failed to function. Yes, he died as we know death, but death could not hold him down and it cannot hold us down. That's the whole point. Resurrection is not something that happens, it's something that is. So Jesus is able to preach about the resurrection before the historical reality occurs. He's able to talk about this reality in ways his apostles don't even understand until much later when they're reading in the power of the Holy Spirit. He speaks about something that only he knows and understands until all of us have our eyes opened. And this is what he says, John chapter 5, verses 19 through 29. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. That's the Trinity. For the Father loves the Son... And he shows him all that he does. Yes? And he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Listen again. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased 
to give it, don't you know the apostles looked at each other and go, do you know what he's talking about? This hasn't happened yet. The Father has not yet raised Jesus from the dead. That's not yet occurred. They're not, they're not understanding this when Jesus says it, but it's already happening because resurrection is an eternal reality. It is creation in another word. It's recreation. Resuscitation is not what we're talking about. Resurrection is different than just the body coming back to life. It's, it's life conquering death once and for all. And it is happening. It has been happening. It will be happening. It will always happen because it is, it is what God does. And the Son knows what the Father does. Father loves the Son and reveals all things to Him and you have seen nothing yet, Jesus says. He's not just talking about his own resurrection. He's talking about yours and mine. You will be amazed by what you are yet to see. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Resurrection for Jesus begets resurrection for his followers. The same death that could not hold him down cannot hold you down if your faith is in Christ as your Savior and Lord. The same tomb that could not hold him cannot hold you. If he was resurrected, you are resurrected also and not will be resurrected because that will find expression in a number of different ways in the stages of life after life as we'll soon see biblically. But you are already resurrected. It's already occurring, has always, and is always occurring. It is our reality. Yes, and He will show Him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He's pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one. This is important. I'm coming back to it later in this passage. The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to His Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Whoever does not believe in the Son does not believe in the Father who sent Him. Very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. I've got to read that again because that sentence is so packed with meaning. If it's all I had of the Bible, it could save me. I'm serious. Listen carefully to it. Very truly I tell you, this is Jesus. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Not will get it later has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Whole life disciples of Jesus have already crossed over from death to life. Whole life disciples of Jesus have already crossed over from death to life. Just look at your neighbor and say loud and proud to them, I crossed over. I made it. You might have crossed over and not even known you did. It does happen. Let me tell you, 
We have certain habits uh, when we drive as a family. A couple of my family members down here today, so they can corroborate this. And one, one thing they know about me is, man, when I, when I get behind the wheel and I get started, I don't stop, right? Now, that's not literally true. I had two daughters and a wife. I do stop, but only when I have to. And, you know, what I'll do is I'll try to stretch them out a few more exits, you know? You know, this is fun. Like you get, Dad, there was a gas station. Oh, there was? I didn't see that. Yeah, Missed that. I was looking straight ahead, looking at the goal, looking at the prize. Once I get going, I don't want to stop till I get there. COVID was fine with me. That, that kind of travel, that was awesome. You couldn't stop. That's great. You get in the car, you can go. Right? We'll stop when we get there. When, when will we stop? When we get there. Now, you know, now sometimes that's not true, but six or less hours... <laughs> You can do it. Trust me. So that's one habit. The other habit is I usually drive. Debbie doesn't, she doesn't really like to drive that much. Uh, I, I don't know why, but she doesn't. And especially long trips. And it's probably a good thing that she's not usually driving on long trips because what she does like to do on long trips is sleep. Anybody else familiar with it? She says, honey, it's because you wear me out all the time, tired all the time. And, you know, I get on a trip, you, can, you drive, I'll sleep. I listen to a book, listen to radio, listen to something, I do something. I don't fall asleep in the daytime very, I can't even take a nap. It's hard for me to nap, so I don't, I don't fall asleep. I get behind the wheel drive, she, she likes to sleep. The bump at the end of the driveway says, go to sleep. Okay, so you go down the driveway, boom, you hit the bump. When Debbie falls asleep, she's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my entire life, but this ain't pretty. <laughs> One of two things happens. Either she falls back and her mouth falls wide open, or this is more often, she just kind of falls into a little clump. Anybody else do this? How do you do that? I, like, I wish I could do that. Like, I do, you know, my neck hurts if I do she, she just clumps over. So, you know, the thing is, she looks uncomfortable to me, and I love her, and so I'll always be, honey, 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 what? You're asleep. I know. <laughs> well, that, that seat you're in, this is a newfangled kind of car, it'd go back. You can put it back. Okay. <laughs> honey, she looks uncomfortable to me, Honey. I can't sleep if you'll keep bothering me. Put the seat back. Finally, mad at me, she'll put it back. <laughs> you know, put it back and go to sleep. She likes to sleep. Debbie can sleep through states. So you make a trip. You know, let's say we're recently we're traveling from Virginia to, to North Carolina, but we can go across. Maybe we're going to South Carolina or we're going to even Florida, something like that. We're going down, we're going south. Headed down 95, the worst road. When we talk about hell, we'll talk about I-95. <laughs> We're headed down I-95, and she's, she's, she's asleep, and when she wakes up, she doesn't know what she's missed. She doesn't even care what she's missed. She doesn't want to be awakened to see anything that's like, hey, honey, look at that. She doesn't care. So, so I, she wakes up, and she says to me, are we in North Carolina yet? Nope. We're not? I thought I'd been asleep longer than that. You have. You slept through an entire state. We are in South Carolina now. And that's what happens for a lot of you. You're sleeping through an entire state of your eternity. While you're waiting for it to happen, it's already begun. The abundant life that God means for you, it's already here. Now, it's encumbered by the flesh, 
the grief, the pain, the agony, the despair, sometimes the joys, right? It's encumbered by all that we have to do, and that someday will go away. But for now, you're already living the abundant life, the eternal life, but you just don't act like it or know it, some of you, right? I'm already crossed over, amen? I don't want you to miss this state because your eternal life with Christ has begun if your faith is in Him. You've been baptized into your real ID as a son or daughter of the living God. One thing that's helpful here is is John's word. Again, it's actually God's word through John because John on the island of Patmos at the end of his life, he's isolated, he's, he's been exiled, and as he's there, he has this vision from God. And just as he's getting ready to speak to the churches, that first part of Revelation, the most beautiful part of Revelation until you get to chapter 21, which we'll deal with in this series. But in that part, he writes this amazing statement. He says, the one who is victorious will not be hurt by the second death. What is the second death? That is the one where your body stops working. Your transient mortal flesh, the part you only need for a while, while you live in this world, that's when your heart stops beating and your lungs stop breathing. That's not death for you. That would be a second death, and there's no such thing as the second death for believers. You can't be hurt, touched, in some translations, by the second death. What was the first death? The one you died with Jesus on the cross. When you say, Father, I confess my sins to you. I am a sinner, broken and fallen, depraved. I am in need of a Savior, and you sent one for me, your only son, Jesus. And I take that grace offering, and I receive that gift And I claim his cross as my own. Whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses it for my sake will surely find it. I die with him on the cross in order to be resurrected. I always say that that death provides for our forgiveness, makes us a tabula rasa, a clean slate. It's all wiped clean. I don't care what it is, what's on there. All the shame that's written on the slate of your life in tiny print, everything that's ever been written there in all of your life is erased and gone, but not for the purpose of being a blank slate, for the purpose of resurrection so that the real ID that is chosen for you as a son or daughter of the one true living God is written back on that slate. The reason that God forgives us is so he can rewrite his image on us as he did and intended to in creation. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by a quote-unquote second death. I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me as eternal life has eternal life, not will have, has eternal life, and listen to this, will not be judged but is crossed over from death to life. Now catch this one because this is going to blow a few of you away. Whole life disciples of Jesus will not be judged when their lives here are done. This is so vital. You get it wrong. I'm telling you because I listen. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, even my fellow church members, they say, you know, i got to do what's right. I've got to stay on that straight and narrow because when I meet my maker 
and he judges me, I want to be found not guilty. No chance. Too late. You're guilty of sin. (laughs) You're guilty since this morning. You're guilty since two minutes ago. You're guilty. I'm guilty. The wages of sin is death, and we all deserve it. But the free gift of God is life, Paul says in Romans. And look, we're guilty, but, but that's not the point. The point is all of that guilt and shame was taken on Jesus' shoulders on the cross. And we are forgiven in the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? I don't care what you've done or what you're thinking or who you think you are. You're forgiven if you claim the forgiveness of Jesus as yours. It belongs to you as a gift. He bought you with a price, as we'll see in a moment. This is vital. And that forgiveness means that you've already been judged. You go, wait a second, I don't remember being judged. That's because Jesus was judged in your place. You confess your sins, you claim the cross as your own, and the judgment is over for you. You'll not be judged again. When you get to heaven, assuming Jesus doesn't come before you die, When you get to heaven, assuming the new heaven and the new earth is not here before you pass from this earth, when you get to heaven and you get to the pearly gates, by the way, which aren't in the Bible, but when you get to them, whatever they are, Jesus is going to be the one there to greet you because the Father gave judgment to Him. And you're going to go... I just want to tell you, I'm going to dis- I want to explain what I was thinking here. And when you do that, Jesus goes, ah, nope, stop. Unnecessary. Go out the back door. What? Go on. Go out the back door. I took the judgment for you. It's done. I do have to tell you this. The Bible's really clear. If your faith is not in Jesus Christ, that's not going to be your experience. We'll get to that later. But if your faith is in Jesus, there is no judgment awaiting you. This is so powerful. After the last sermon, this is the one thing people kept mentioning to me. Wow, I never realized I would not be judged. You will not be judged. You will not. You say, Jim, how do you know? Jesus said so. (laughs) Does that work for you? (laughs) I don't know. It works for me. I told this story before, but it's been years. And it's one of my all-time favorite stories about me, the thief, the grand schemer. This is one of my early sins. There have been many since, and there'll be many more, I'm afraid. But, but this was an early, I might have been 10 years old. I don't know. I grew up in Radford, uh, Radford University near Virginia Tech. Some of you Hokies out there. Um, it was a little town then. Little, it's a college town, but it's a small town. And, you know, in our town, there were only a couple of grocery stores when I was a kid. I think there were exactly two, actually. And one of them was a little tiny place called the Piggly Wiggly. Are you familiar with the Piggly Wiggly? Okay. Now, look, if you're young and you've gone to these big highfalutin Piggly Wigglies they got now, although they seem to be going out of business. But if you've been to one of those, that ain't what I'm talking about. The Piggly Wiggly was smaller than this room, I think. I used it as a little place, but they, they were famous for their meat counter. And the meat cutter, the butcher in the Piggly Wiggly was a member of my church where my dad was pastor. And so that's where we got all of our meat. You might go somewhere else, but you went to the Piggly Wiggly to get, and what did we get? Because I don't know if you're my age, but if you're my age, what do we eat? We eat those little skinny T-bone steaks. Do you remember those? That wasn't even a piece, well, whatever. So anyway, we, we thought that was high living back, back in the day. You eat with applesauce and green beans every last time. So we'd go back and 
we'd get this meat and then you'd go out. But the Piggly Wiggly still had a few frills. And the frills included when you went out the checkout line, you notice how parents, they put all that stuff right on the aisles to attract your children. And many of you are making a mistake. You just give them, you, fine, here, you have this. You have, my mom, no way. You couldn't have, are you with me, Meg? You couldn't have nothing. No. I mean, we came over here for steaks. I got you a steak. You should be happy with that. Sit in the cart, in your place, or walk in the, whatever you're going to do, and leave me alone until we get out of here, pay the bill, get in the car, whatever the case may be. You can't have anything. But man, that balloon was right there within reach. And I'd wanted one for a long time. This seems a silly thing for me now. Who wants such a thing? But they, when I was a kid, they had these things called jumbo balloons. Jumbo balloons had a little card that the balloon hung from. It looked so enticing. And the card was a picture of the jumbo elephant, like from the circus. It was red and yellow. I vividly remember I could draw this right now. And my mom was paying the bill, and it was right there. And I knew full well that I couldn't have it, and so I took it. Somebody, last time I told this story, is like 10 years ago, and somebody said to me when I told this story 10 years ago, they said, well, you probably didn't know you were stealing. You must be kidding. I knew I was stealing. I just thought I was entitled to that balloon. So I took it, and I stuck it with my pocket. Here's the great thing about that, man. It was so easy to hide, so easy to hide. And then I got home, and I couldn't wait. I went up to my bedroom, and I shut and locked the door. And I blew that, I inflated that thing. It's gigantic. It's a great big black balloon, right? And I was so happy with myself, so pleased with myself. And so suddenly I realized, this could be a lot harder to hide. <laughs> Isn't that how sin is? Isn't that how it is? Seems so small until it ain't. And so I take this big inflated balloon and I look around the room and I make a plan. And the plan is I'll stick it in my closet which would have been fine if my mom didn't always go in my closet. But anyway, I shoved it in there, and I, sh I can still remember the squeak of the balloon as I shut the door. But it didn't, it didn't break. Later on, I went and looked at it. It's still there. And then it happened. All right. I was downstairs somewhere, and I hear my mom. She's upstairs. She's in my bedroom, and I hear, Jimmy! I can't even say this like my mom said it. I mean, the terror that her voice, couldn't even say it. And I went, yes. <laughs> Something wrong? Get up here! I walk up there, and there is my horrible sin, big black balloon right there in, in, the, in the closet. And she goes, where did you get this? And I go, well, my friend gave it to me. <laughs> She goes, is that right? Uh-huh. And she goes, I don't think that's true. I can tell by the sound of your voice that you were lying. And I went, <laughs> it was right, it was right there. I mean, it was right, it was right there. And she says, okay, here's what we're going to do. First of all, you're in big trouble. There's going to be discipline, punishment, agony, pain for you. But in addition to that, right this second, you're going to take that balloon. You're going to take your future allowance because the thing costs like a quarter, but that's like five weeks of my allowance or something at the time. I mean, you people who get these real allowances, you don't know what life really is. And so you were going to store up your allowance each week. You're going to do extra chores to pay for this, and we're going to go right over right now. We're going to go to the Piggly Wiggly store. You're taking that back, and you're going to apologize. 
for this. Now, it never occurred to me the thing's worthless now, right? You can't sell it. But anyway, we take this thing. and Here I am. She makes me carry it the whole way. I'm going out of the house with my with my sin in my arms, and we get into the front of the custom cruiser station wagon, like an airbag going off in front of me, I'm like pinned to the, to the thing. We get to the place, and I go, Mom, please. And you know, you got to do it. Now, the manager of the store was a member of my church. I knew him. So I take this balloon out, and I walk out, and I go to the front of the Piggly Wiggly, and people are looking at me, you know, this kid carrying this stupid balloon. And I walk in the front of the store, and I go straight to the manager, and I look at him, and I go, <laughs> I stole this balloon. Now listen, here's the problem. He knew my mama. And he knew I'd already been judged. And so he says to me, oh, it's okay, Jimmy. Don't do it again, but it's okay. Thank you for paying for it. And I, I walk out. Next thing that happens is mom says, you wait here. She walks into the store. <laughs> talks to that manager, and he walks out to the car and says, don't do it again. And he's like, <laughs> but the point is, I've been judged already. You've been judged already. Amen? It's taken care of. Why do we then seek not to sin that grace may abound? Paul says, because of love. We're so grateful for the gift, the grace gift, and we don't want to miss out on the eternity we're already living. We don't want to miss out on the eternal life that does not involve that kind of block and impediment to the heart of the Father. We want to live now in fellowship with our God because we're going to live with Him forever, and there is peace, and there is joy, and there is hope. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming. Now listen to this. No, it's already come. A time is coming and now has come that the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, why can we say it's coming but it's already come? Because for you and me, it feels like the future. We measure time in this transient space differently than we ever will again because eternity is not something that can be measured with time. When you say eternity, you mean an endless supply of time. But what eternity means in Scripture is no time at all. Does this make sense? That's why we say, look, to a God, a day is like a thousand years. A million either. It doesn't matter. A billion and a billion years are like a day. It's nothing. God is above time and space. He invented it. He created it. Everything that happens in our understanding of time has already happened and is happening. It's the strangest thing, but even science knows a little bit about the time-space continuum. We don't understand time. Time is coming and is now here when the Son of God will speak and those who hear His voice and know His voice will live. You see, the entirety of the Christian faith is anchored in the resurrection. I need to tell you that as we go forward and compare ourselves with others, you'll find all sorts of ideas about life and death and other things. But you will not find anywhere else the resurrection and I don't mean just the resurrection of Jesus. I mean the power of the resurrection which death cannot touch. You will not find it, and it is the essence 
of our faith. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to judge because He is the Son of what? No. Because He is the Son of Man. What? Because He could experience death. You see? Because He could experience temptation and overcome sin. Because He gets us. I love those commercials. Somebody called me recently and said, right during the Super Bowl, like, I really want to talk about something, you know, during the Super Bowl. Hello? Uh, Are you watching this He Gets Us commercial? I am. Isn't it awesome? Yeah, but who's behind it? That's so skeptical. I don't even care who's behind it. I know good theology when I see it. I don't care who did it. I don't care if an atheist did it. That's not who did it, by the way, but I don't care. It's great theology. He gets you. He knows your struggle. He knows your pain and your despair. He knows your lack of self-confidence. He knows your fatherlessness or your motherlessness. He knows it all. He gets you. God has given to the Son of Man the power to judge because the Son of Man empathizes with you. He gave His life for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. He owns you. He gets you. Those people the Son of Man saves. You should not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in the grave will hear His voice, and they will come out. Because death can't hold them. They're already resurrected. And those who have done what is good will rise to life. And those who've done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Because the resurrection is a reality for everyone, whether they know it or not. But you know it. Paul did too. Paul is commentary on the gospel. Very quickly, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. You see, we grieve. There is pain. There is agony. There is despair. We grieve. But whole life disciples of Jesus grieve hopefully because of the resurrection. We know as we grieve that death cannot have any word at all, not just the final word. We know this, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in death according to the Lord's Word. We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who fall asleep, for the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, Paul says, comfort one another, encourage one another with these words, with what 
words. These words. He is risen. And we've crossed over. He is risen. And we have crossed over. Brennan Manning says it like this. For me, the most radical demand of Christian faith lies in summoning the courage to say yes to the present risenness of Jesus Christ. Oh, my friends, I've crossed over. I've crossed over. Have you? It's been a hard week, man, and you know, for pastors, there are a lot of them, but this is a hard one. And uh, I guess the hardest part of it, I don't even guess, the hardest part of it for me is on Wednesday uh, when my good friend and our brother in Christ, Ben Bergen, went home to be with Jesus. You know, I've been, I've been praying for breakthrough, have you? I said by Easter. I've been hearing all your stories about how you've had these, breakthrough, these amazing breakthroughs before today, which is just incredible. But the breakthrough I prayed for for Ben was healing on this side of the grave, and that didn't come. After a long struggle, a lot of pain and despair and difficulty, and a lot of joy. On Wednesday, he won the fight, finished the race, and he went home to be with the Lord. It was hard for those of us left behind, 41 years old, 41. Maybe that didn't used to sing young to me, but it seems really young now. Beautiful, wonderful wife, 10 years married. 10 years, it's not enough. It's never enough, but this really seemed not enough. And, and I struggled, you know, because, because I do too. I grieve. Not as those who have no hope, but I grieve, and I, I just struggled. And, and it's affected me in a thousand different ways. I've been grumpy. I just felt a little tickle of despair. And I try to ignore it, but it's there. And so we're going to have a wonderful celebration of life on May the 20th, and you'll want to be there. But, but his burial was yesterday, and man, yesterday was just incredible. He wanted to be buried sustainably, which I'd never seen before, never been a part of before, but now I know how I will be buried. And you say, will you be buried, Jim? Yes. The reason the early church, the early Christians buried rather than cremated was because the pagans cremated, and it's not that God can't raise ashes, because He can. So if you've already done this, don't worry about it. But, but their statement of belief in the resurrection was the burial of the dead. It was a statement of faith. And yesterday I found out how and probably where. I will do it an hour west of here in a Trappist monastery that does this beautiful open field, an old farm, big wooded area. Ben wanted to be in the wooded area, chose his, chose his area. His wife chose his space. You can't have a gravestone. I don't need one, do you? You just put a rock there. A year later, your family can come grow a tree on the spot. So cool. It was so beautiful, and his body shrouded that he didn't need anymore. His earthly body shrouded like Jesus when he was buried and lowered into that six-foot earthen, no vault pit. And the family came and, and threw dirt onto the body. And I struggled with what yesterday would be about. I, I kind of wished it was Good Friday, you know. I mean, he died on Passover, which is amazing. 
But, you know, Good Friday, I thought that'd be cool. And then I started thinking about the meaning of Holy Saturday. We don't celebrate Holy Saturday anymore. In fact, the Western Church gave up the celebration of Holy Saturday hundreds of years ago, interestingly enough, because the early church, you want to know when the biggest baptism service of the entire year was? Holy Saturday. To wait for the resurrection. Holy Saturday. I didn't know that until I was reading about the meaning of yesterday, and I found out that the Eastern Church has never stopped celebrating Holy Saturday. So in places like Ukraine, yesterday, all day long, and then especially in the evening, every church in the land at the same time rang their bells because it's the end of Lent and the beginning of the wait for the resurrection. And so I thought, what do you do on a day like today? And I thought, you ring a, you ring a bell. It's what you do. And I stood there at the side of that grave as I closed that service, and I took, I took my school bell, and I just rang the bell. rang it to mark the power of resurrection, of crossing over, because my brother Ben did break through. He broke through to life, from life, because, my friends, I'm going to tell you something, and this is what matters. We do not believe in life after death. You can quote me on this. We do not believe in life after death. We believe in life after life. We are resurrection people. So I texted a friend and said, hey, if I go before you and you're there when you plant me in that earth, that's where I want to be, what's left of me, ring a bell. Ring a bell. Your life is a ringing bell because you've crossed over. If your faith is in Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray in this very moment that you would make us aware of life that is truly life. Thank you for the gift of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Not just something rooted in time, but in eternity. And for the reality of resurrection that marks everything we are and everything we are about. Lord, help us to live as resurrection people. And if anyone is hearing the sound of my voice who has never claimed the judgment placed on Jesus' shoulders on that cross as their forgiveness, that they might be resurrected to newness of life, they can pray with me right now, Father, I am a hopeless sinner in need of a Savior. And by your grace and your love, you sent one, even your son, Jesus. I take his death and his resurrection as his own. I claim his cross and I claim his empty tomb. And Lord, right here and right now, I am crossing over to eternity, to whole life, full life, abundant life, eternal life. Father, for all of us who profess that, We pray that you would make us ringing bells in a world that is so deathly muted to the power of resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Columbia, he is risen. risen. 
And for that reason, we are all new, all in, and all out. So go ignite passion for Jesus Christ from Metro Washington to the world. Have a blessed week, and I will see you soon. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Metro D.C. area, we would love to worship with you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about all the incredible things happening at Columbia, go to ColumbiaBaptist.org. That's ColumbiaBaptist.org.